So guys, yeah, thank you for your faithfulness during this very unique and difficult time, right? People are reaching out to one another. They're getting, in the, uh, um, getting engaged virtually on Zoom and calling one another and keeping life going. And so I really appreciate all of you guys for your faithfulness uh, and you just didn't like bug out and just say, forget church. You know, it's, it really is a testimony of what the Lord is doing here and what he's building. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So today, we are going to be uh, beginning a new sermon series. Um, and that new sermon series is going to be on rediscovering Jesus. All right. So we did a sermon series uh, rediscovering uh, Paul. We did a sermon series rediscovering the Father. And so now uh, we're going to move into rediscovering Jesus. Now, about a year or so ago, I taught on the, the, the what, the life and days of Jesus or something like that. And that was kind of looking at a little bit more historical, contextual kind of stuff. Uh, this is going to be really getting into who and what is the nature of Jesus as the Son of God. And so that is where we're, uh, we're going to be going during the sermon. I'm really excited about it because I think a lot of us come to faith and we only know Jesus as Christ, as Messiah. But there's a lot more. There's a lot a lot, a lot more. And so today we're going to begin this sermon series, uh, and we're going to lay the groundwork today. So today is really just kind of building a schema, building a foundation for us to be able to step into the next several weeks and gain a better understanding. So let's open up to Matthew 16. I'm going to read the scripture verses that we're going over today, and then we will um, pray and get into the Word. Amen. So this is Matthew chapter 16. Let's go to verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he, Jesus, said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus, Yeshua, answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Lord, we come before you. And we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us. Reveal things from your word. Reveal things by your spirit so we can grow in deeper understanding of your nature, Lord, and who you are. And so we can grow and be transformed into your image during this time and this season of our lives. In your name we pray, amen? Amen. So... What do we have here? We have Jesus is going to his disciples and saying, who do people say that I am? Uh, He asks a question. And the question is asked to get a name, right? Who do they say that I am? So the question is created in order to elicit a response which will articulate to the heavens and to articulate to the world a name. What's interesting here, though, is what are names? Names, if you really think about it, are extremely powerful, right? Your name, in fact, is an identity. It is a title. When you give a name to someone or to something, it produces an understanding and a title 
for you and also for others. I was kind of thinking about this uh, laughingly. I don't know if you guys uh, have been here at this place, but usually, right, uh, at some point in your younger years or maybe into your 20s or into your 30s, you have that relationship with uh, someone of the opposite uh, sex and uh, your friends and you're moving into that place of being romantic and then at some given point, someone articulates, he is my boyfriend or she is my girlfriend and boom, you get those flutters inside, it's been articulated, it's been said and now the position, essentially the title is changed. And you feel it, and they feel it, and other people are like, oh, it's official. So look, guys, names are extremely powerful because there are titles and identities that are given. Right? So, but here's the thing. Names are not just titles. They're also positions. Uh, they're positions in relationship. They're positions in authority. Names are more than just identifications. They're positions in authority and relationship. So, Jesus asked the disciples, who do they, out there, say that I am? And they responded. They said, well, some people say you're the prophet Elijah. Some people say uh, that you're, you're, you're like a John the Baptist. Some people say that you're one of the other prophets. Now, what's interesting here is Jesus, in this context, doesn't really care or want to know what people are thinking he, he is. He really isn't. What's going on here is actually a rabbinical technique. He asks a question in order to lead into another question. He's not concerned about this first question so much. He is concerned about the penultimate question, which is coming later. It's like a chess move. I give you this question in order to bring you in so I can now download to you and give to you the real question. And what's the real question? Who do you say that I am? He really wants to get to what the disciples are thinking. But who do you say? I know that they say a prophet and they say this, but I'm here to ask, who do you say that I am? All of it was set to get to that place. And so what we have here in the Greek is uh, the you. Now in English, we don't have it up in the north. I guess we do have it up in the north. A plural you. It's you guys. And in the south, it's y'all. But technically, really, in English, I can say you to one single person, but I also can say you in a plural sense. In the old English, if you're reading the King James Bible, it would be a ye. Ye being plural. And what we have here in the Greek is essentially a ye. It's a plural you. When he goes to the disciples, he says, and you guys, you all, who do you think I am? And this is very important to understand because there's only one man that responds. There's only one person that knows. Or there's only one person that's willing to step out and to declare it. Now this is no small thing. This is really essentially the second time, because at the circumcision of Jesus, we see a, a, a response of who he is. But this is the first time in his ministry that we have someone that is saying, he is this. What does Peter say? We read it. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And really for the first time in earthly history, this is declared. So let's break this down a little bit. Peter, it says, is empowered by the Holy Spirit for this revelation. He articulates, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And what's going on here? Uh, Christ, the Christos, coming from, and, and, and Peter would have said it in the Hebrew Aramaic, he wouldn't have said Christos, he wouldn't have said Christ, he wouldn't have said Messiah, he, said, he would have said, you are the Messiah, you are the Messiah, the Anointed One, it's a title. I want you to really get this. When he says you are the Messiah, it is a title. I want you to understand this in a biblical worldview. What we have here is that there are other people acting as anointed ones in the scriptures. And in fact, in the Hebrew, it will actually tell you that this person is a Messiah. Not the Messiah, but is a Messiah, is an anointed one. Okay? Uh, two people, for example, would be David and Moses. In the scriptures, it says that they were anointed ones. And so look, this is a title right here. This isn't exactly a position. It's kind of like, well, if other people can be anointed ones, what about this guy? Now, I know when we hear Christ, we're like, oh, okay, he's the Christ. But in the first century, if someone's like, oh, this guy is a Mashiach, this guy is a Messiah, they're like, oh, he's an anointed one. But what does the Holy Spirit lead Peter in? What does Peter articulate after? But you're not just the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Christ, and the Son of the living God. Come on, let's get a little response in here. I mean, it's the Son of the living God. Son of the living God is really a position. It's a position of relationship. And so look, a title or a name in a relationship is really a descriptive. But a position is a place of authority. Okay? Now, you can call someone by a title, but to know them by their position is to attest to their authority. And I really want you to get this because there's people that will say Jesus Christ and they'll say the title, but they have no understanding of the revelation of the position that is. That's good. Come on. So, in the 21st century, today, who do people say that Jesus is? Or how about this one? You in the church, who do you say that Jesus is? Right now in your mind, wherever you're viewing, wherever state you're in, ask yourself this question, who do I say that Jesus is? Now, the reality here is that question and the answer is essentially the same question and answer that's being evaluated in the first century. It's the same question and it elicits the same responses. Uh, example, uh, the great intellectual and philosopher and author uh, C.S. Lewis um, wrestled with these ideas. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, was a professor in England. He was an atheist. An atheist. Did not believe in God. And he was forced to wrestle with the question, who is this man Jesus? And he asked the questions and he gave him an answer. And then the answer, he listed another question which provided another answer. Until eventually he got born again and became one of the most authoritative Christian uh, apologetics 
or working in Christian apologetics in the 20th century. And so C.S. Lewis pretty much came up with three responses to who Jesus is. Because every human being needs to ask that question. Who is this man, Jesus, who is a tremendous historical figure? Who is he? And who is he to me? See, Peter had to answer that. But he answered it, not just the title. He answered it with an understanding of the position. So what does C.S. Lewis say? C.S. Lewis says, all right, here are the options. Three options. First option is, this guy, Jesus, um, was a lunatic. Like, he was a surefiable madman. Why? Because this madman is teaching things, is saying things, but then he dies for what he says. And only a crazy person would do that, because Jesus had ample opportunities to stop what he was doing, to give clarification and say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the Son of God, don't crucify me. He could have done that. So, he could be a lunatic and literally lost his, his mind. That's one option. Another option is the guy is just a flat-out liar. Like, he is a compulsive liar who just lied over and over and over and over again. But C.S. Lewis says this, if he's a liar, it really means that he's a madman. Because what liar would lie so much that people who listen to your words would live them out and they themselves would die? And what liar would lie and lie and lie knowing that they would suffer a horrible, horrendous, torturous death? So if he's a liar, he really must be a madman. Or he is who he says he is. This is comical. There are people who are like, oh, Jesus is a good guy. How can he be a good guy if he's a lunatic? Oh, Jesus was such a great moral teacher. How can he be a moral teacher if he's such a liar? You see, you can't take one and leave the other. He is either a lunatic, he is either a liar, he can't be a moral teacher if he was a lunatic or a liar. So either he is a moral teacher who is who he says he is, or he's a madman that you should pay no attention to. You cannot, people watching, you cannot have both. You can't. You get what I'm saying? So, connections to today. Because that's what's going on back then, but it's still questions that are being asked and wrestled with today. Well, who is Jesus? Well, you know, Jesus, he's a good moral teacher. Okay. People who just say that and they don't believe in his holiness and his lordship, those people, they'll take the moral truths and they'll take the title that he's a good moral teacher, but they do not take the position of his authority. That's the whole message today. The difference between a title and a position. They'll take the title of a good moral teacher. Love your neighbor, love your enemies, turn the other cheek. Oh, what a sweet first century Jewish boy. They'll take the title, but they don't take the position. What's the position? The position is a position of authority. What's the position? A holy God on earth. 
They'll take the title, but they will not take the position of lordship. He is the Lord. He is sanctified. He's always been sacred, actually, and he sanctifies us. They'll take the title, but they will not take having to submit to him. There's a lot of people out there that are like that. So, I don't know how they can do that, because he's either a madman, or he is who he says he is. And he never says that he's a good moral teacher. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Whoever comes to me will hunger and thirst no more. I am the bread of life. I am the blood of atonement. That's what he says. Now, that's all the external, right? The non-churchgoers. What about the church? Yeah. What about the church? Now, I think the most dangerous of responses in, in, in a philosophical and theological way, the most dangerous of responses to the question, who is he, is simply, he's the Savior. Now, I want you to understand this. If you simply say, he is my Savior, there is a very good chance I would say probably 100% chance, if you only say that that's who he is, that you're going to be lukewarm. The book of Revelation says what Jesus is going to do to lukewarm people, right? He's going to vomit them out of his mouth. Just a savior. It's just a title in many regards. And what's the danger with this in the church? If he's just your own personal savior and nothing else, it has a form of godliness but denies a power, a power of transformation. But if we know him in a position, and what I mean by the position, I mean his attributes, his character, his power, his fullness, his authority, is going to be a different, very different situation in your walk. So what are some of these positions that we're going to be studying these last couple of weeks? I'll have a bunch written down. We're not going to get through all of them. We'll see how the Holy Spirit leads me. Uh, as we push forward. But guys, if you only know Jesus as a Messiah, you'll only know a sliver of him. That's good. Come on. And so to rediscover Jesus, we need to know his position. There's a lot of people in the church that only know him as this guy who died on a cross for my sins. That's good. Look, what are his positions in the heavens? His positions are, yes, he is Messiah. But he's also the Alpha and the Omega. Yes. He's the eternal word. He's the son of David. He's the eternal high priest. Do you know Jesus as the eternal high priest and what that means? Do you know Jesus as the son of David and understand what that means? He's the bridegroom. He's the lamb of God. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Lord and he is the son of the living God. Man, you got to know Jesus more as the Savior. That's a good word. You got to, if you want to see the power of his transformation in your life. Now, all of these words, all of these little positions I threw out there, they, they sound like titles, and I get it. Because they can work together. They sound like titles, but I'm here to tell you that to, to really understand... To really understand them is to bring the title into a position of his authority. 
It's to look at the title, to understand the title, and it makes a shift in your mind that says, I'm going to shift from just the title to applying his position of authority in my life. So here we go. To know Jesus fully, and this is really what we're trying to do over these next couple weeks. To know Jesus fully, we need to rediscover him. Not by mere titles only, but by his position to heaven and to earth. His position releases an understanding whereby man finds himself compelled to respond. Amazed by his love, completely undone before him. I would argue this, if you do not see transformation in your life, if you're not compelled by his love, you only know him by a title. You don't know him by his position of authority in heaven and on earth. Now, Peter. Peter's response. Peter's response in Matthew 16. You are the Messiah. The son of the living God. He knows it. It reveals him by the Holy Spirit. And so let's talk about this title. Let's talk about this position a little bit more. The son. Peter comes out and says, you are the son. Not a son. The son. Colossians says, in him, in Jesus, lies the fullness of the deity. The fullness of God incarnate is in the son. And because he is the son, he has the authority of the father and has the holiness of the father. Jesus is the physical embodiment of God the Father. He's more than just your, your, your Messiah. He's more than your thing to get you through the hard time. He is the holy, living God. Now, he doesn't just say, son. Position. You're the son of the living God. Over 30 plus times in the Bible, the phrase living God is stated. 30 plus times. One of the more popular ones outside of the New Testament context is found in Jeremiah. Let's, uh, let's fill this out a little bit. Let's, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 10. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 1. Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven. For the Gentiles are dismayed at them. For the custom, this is really funny. I'll let, I'll let the Holy Spirit show you some things here. For the customs of the peoples are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest... Works of the hands of the workmen with the axe, they decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them for they cannot do evil nor can they do any good. Verse 8. But they, these idols, are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Wow. 
So here we are. The prophet Jeremiah is just articulating idols. They go out into the forest, they cut down a tree, they adorn it with silver and gold, they attach it in their house, and they worship it. They think it's God. Okay? That's not your God. Jeremiah says now, in verse 10, power, but the Lord, oh, the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Thus you shall say to them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. Man, fire. He has made the earth by his power. He has established the word by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasures. Holy cow! It's like the prophet is saying, this is what a living God is. Verse 10, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. He's not just a God. He's a God that's alive. He's a God that no one was able to make. He always existed. It's different than just a God. He's a living, breathing, active, real, everlasting, involved God. When he speaks, he causes the deer to give birth. Come on. When he speaks, it causes a thundering and a lightning in the heavens. But idols, a God made out of wood, a God made out of silver, a God made out of gold, a God made out of a tree, they're not alive. But really what the prophet is getting at here, what he's really getting at is this. Guys, we don't really have gods like that anymore. Like, I don't know anyone who, like, bows down to a statue, personally. We don't really have those things in the West. But really, what is the intent of what's going on here of the prophet Jeremiah? What Jesus is setting himself up at is this. Idols are really the things you fashion with your own hands. Let's do it. Come on. Is anything that you worship that you make with your own hands? Your money? Your security? the church you belong to, the ministry you're involved in, what you do is a non-living God for you if you're bowing down to it. But the living God is real, active, everlasting. But essentially what he is is one that is not fashioned by man's hands. What does it mean to fashion? To fashion means to make God into your own image. But the living God, you can't make him. He always existed and always will exist. In fact, he made you. So when Peter says, this is who you are, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God, sets things up. So, who do you say that I am? Who do you say he is? Mary, if you can come on down, please. The times of Jesus, a prophet, a good moral teacher, just the Savior? Or is he the Son of the living God, who is the embodiment of holiness? Lord. See, people then and people now like the title. They like the title. The title makes them feel good. Jesus saved me. 
But many people fail to look and understand his position. It's very important because he's more than just Savior. He's the Son of the living God. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is Yahweh. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. When we understand his position, it brings the authority of his holiness. A living God. God incarnate. The living Yahweh. The living Jehovah. The living Lord. Hmm. He is more than your Savior. He, I want you to zone on this. He is more than your personal little Rubik's Cube of getting what you want, Savior. He is the Son of the living God. He is Lord. What do I need to be saved? They asked Paul. And in Romans 10.9, he says it very clearly, that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, there's too many people who go to Jesus and just know Him as Jesus. They just know Him as Jesus Christ. Paul says, what do you need to do to be saved? You need to call upon the name of not Jesus. You need to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. There's a difference. There's lots of people who call on Jesus during dire times. What the Father is asking is look upon the Son and make Him Lord. Lord over your life. And authority over your life because that's position. He's Lord. Yes, it's a title, but it's a position. He's the son of a living God who bears the authority of the Father. Because it's three in one. So the next couple weeks, we need to look into what are these positions? What do they mean? What do they mean about him? What do they mean about me? In the big C church across planet Earth, I'm sure that there are many people or some people that have forgotten his title. And they forgot his position. The good news is this. Some of us may have forgotten his title and position, but he has not forgotten your title and position. I feel like the revelation of the Holy Spirit, if I was around during the times of Peter, and if Jesus came up to me and said, David, who do you say that I am? I would say, yes, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then I would respond to him and say, but living God, Son of the living God, But who do you say that I am? I know that you are the Son of the living God, but Son of the living God, who do you say I am?
me, David. And he would look at you and say, oh, beloved, you're a son. You're a priest. You're the manifestation of my perfect love. You're a fisherman of men. I've called you to be a witness and a light unto the world. And I'm putting all that in you because that's the title I've given you and that's the position I have given you. We as Christians, yes, we need to know the title and position of God, but you need to know the title and position of yourself. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah Jesus the Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved Come on. he has given you every spiritual blessing that is in heavenly places he's called you to be holy and without blame because that's how he sees you but here's the thing, guys. We can never properly understand our inheritance in the heavenly places. And we can never properly understand our position unless we properly understand and know his position. He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter knows this by the Spirit of God. And this is why Peter can walk on water staring at Jesus. Because he knows his position. This is why Peter can stand up at Pentecost and preach and the Holy Ghost falls and thousands are saved because he doesn't just know Jesus by a title. He knows Jesus by the position of authority. And that position of authority sitting on the right hand throne of God interceding for me. He's going to the Father and saying, David is blameless. David is holy because of my blood. And he's interceding. He said, Holy Spirit, fall upon that little church in Bristol. Let there be a revival that falls. But we can't have access to that unless we know his authority of position and the position of authority that he's given you. Come on. You will do even greater things than I have done. You shall do even greater things. Have you done a greater thing than Jesus yet? I haven't. But he says with his authority that you will know your position you can only know it by knowing his you see Peter is overcome not by Jesus's title as Messiah only but by the revelation of Jesus's position as the son of the living God who has come to redeem us and so like Peter we can fashion God in our own image. But Peter learned that God had fashioned us in his image. Like Peter, we got to be like, Lord, you called me out. 
You call me out to be a son or a daughter or a disciple. When I was, Peter's like, when I was simply fishing to make a living, you called me out. And Peter forgoes making a living to follow a living God. And so in closing up, Numbers chapter 23, verse 9 says, He is not a man that he should lie. He is not a man. God is not a man that he should lie. And what did the living God, what did the Son of the living God say unto us? He's not like a man that he should lie. So what did he say? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come to me, all who are thirsty, and you will never thirst again. What does he say? Before Abraham was, I am. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. But I'm here to tell you today to receive from him, to receive from the water that you will never thirst again and to receive of the bread that you will never go hungry again. To receive all of this, you need to move Jesus from a title to a position. And so today, I ask you this. So, who do you say that he is? In your walk with him, realistically, who have you said that he is? Why don't we stand and pray? You see, many people have used Jesus as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Many people have said, Jesus, you are the ticket out of heaven. I'm sorry, the ticket out of hell and into heaven. You just prostituted him. That's all you did. What can he do for me? But I'm here to tell you that he's more. He's even more than your salvation. He's a living God. He is the Lord. To be worshipped and to, uh, to be adored. But for us to submit ourselves to his authority what he says about us and how we are to walk and how we are to live. Father, we invite you right now. Holy Spirit, just like, just like the Holy Spirit revealed unto Peter, the real articulation of not just a title, but Jesus' position. Father, I pray all the people that are watching, all the people that are here listening, Lord God, that they would come in contact with the presence of God. That you would shake them and show them who you really are. Not just as a title, but as a position of authority. So they can walk, so they can walk, so they can walk in the authority that you have given us. To go and preach before kings and queens. To go and turn the world upside down. To be a witness of the great light of God. Amen.
I just encourage you right now. As Mario plays piano and leads us in some time of reflection. Before you click end to that YouTube link, before you click over on Facebook, to have a moment to go to the Father, to go to the Son, to go to the Spirit and say, I need to know not just who you are, but you need to know what you've been saying about him for so long and see if that needs to be changed in your paradigm. Have a wonderful week. Hope to see you on Wednesday night prayer or the Bible study or the men's group. I know the ladies would love to see you Thursday night. Have a wonderful week and be blessed.